very thankful about my journey into technology and technology leadership is that I started as a user, as an operator on the other end. To me, it's exactly what you said. If we implement something and we say it's perfect and the user doesn't think so, it's not perfect and it wasn't done well because it's usability is job boring. Welcome to the Disruptive Innovators Champions of Digital Business podcast, where IT and digital leaders from around the world talk about their careers, their inspiration, and their vision for the future of digital business. I'm your host, David Wright. The world of digital business is evolving faster than ever, and I want this to be a place where digital business champions create a village to band together and help each other navigate the ever-changing terrain. Disruptive Innovators features conversations with CIOs and digital leaders from around the world, diving into their personal backstory, career, their current role, trends they've been seeing, and their vision for the future, personally, professionally, and otherwise. This podcast is made for people who are seeing how quickly the digital business landscape is evolving. Those who recognize that it takes a village of trusted advisors to navigate this ever-changing terrain. People who enjoy listening to high-level discussions surrounding what it means to be a leader, real-world examples of challenges faced, and industry-specific strategies leveraged to create exceptional business outcomes. This episode is brought to you by Disruptive Innovations, a leading tech consulting firm that helps enterprise organizations with their IT strategy, process optimization, and workflow improvement. Contact them and find out more at disruptiveinnovations.net. Good afternoon, friends. David Wright here, and I am your host of the Disruptive Innovators Champions of Digital Business podcast. This afternoon, I am lucky enough to be joined by Scott Waters. Scott, how are you? Doing great. Happy to be here. Yeah, it's great to have you on. So Scott, for those of our listeners who may not know, can you tell everyone a little bit about your current role? Happy to. I'm the chief information and technology officer for Overlake Medical Center in Bellevue, Washington. In my role, I basically wear all the hats of the CIO, the CTO, and the chief information security officers. Our medical system, our health system, is comprised of a 350-bed medical center here in Bellevue, Washington, and then a fairly large ambulatory network that goes up and down the 405 corridor, which is the east side of Puget Sound. Roughly 3,000 3,500 employees, about 1,000 physicians practicing within our medical center and clinics, some employed, some community physicians. You know, in my role, I basically oversee all of the typical things you'd see in a falling under a CIO position. I have infrastructure, all the applications support. I also have the informatics side of the house, us being a healthcare organization. But in addition to that, I have the digital transformation office that reports up to me and my partner in crime, the chief strategy officer. So I have that. So the innovation and the whiz bang pow stuff, those parts of technology report up through my areas. And then the enterprise project management office. So I head up all the enterprise project planning efforts for the organization as well. It sounds like you have your hands full. That's for sure. I'll look forward to diving into a little bit more about what you guys are up to at Overlake. But to start the episode, actually, with one piece of actionable advice you might look to leave our listeners with today. I think the biggest thing that I've learned either in my career or just personally is just the importance of effective communication. So 
I think communicating is one of the most important, but also one of the most difficult things we do as human beings and certainly as leaders. Getting your intent delivered in a way that's received and aligns with that intent by the folks you're trying to communicate with is just so important. It's so hard to do. So I think if I could give anybody advice on this particular topic is being a forever learner and humble, being sure you never have it nailed, taking as much advice as possible constructively. It's just so tough to nail it down and do it well, as you know, right here in the business of communications. So great advice. I love that advice. I want to talk a little bit about how you got to where you are today. What did your journey look like from where you started out to being the CIO of a, you know, esteemed healthcare organization over on the West Coast? I was thinking about this and I grew up in the Reno Lake Tahoe area. So my life was a you know, youngster and kind of all the way through my teens and stuff. It was all about skateboarding and snowboarding. And that's what I cared about. And I think my earliest exposure to computers and technology was like a lot of other folks in my generation, which is like the Commodore 64s and TRS-80s of the world, just silly programming and really simple video games. But that was kind of the extent of it. And I kind of went out professional world in my 20s and worked for a very large, well-known shipping and distribution company that does deliveries to all of our houses. And, you know, I was in the logistics and delivery portion of that company and just doing operations. I was a supervisor and that was going to be my direction. And they started to launch this computer-assisted program to help sort things to the right places and do all this stuff with barcoding. And it really piqued my interest. So at the same time, one of my good friends, who was one of the original architects deploying Active Directory to large organizations, so way back, he had started his own consulting company and he needed some help. So I was doing my day job at the distribution shipping company. And then on the weekends, I was helping him go out and do new office setups installing switches and hardware, computers and cabling and all that stuff. It just kind of made sense to me. It was fun. More and more, I just kind of piqued my interest. And so over time, we'd be sitting there watching boxing or something on the weekends, and he'd be taking me to school. He'd be talking to me about networking protocols and writing up diagrams on a piece of paper form and walking me through like active directory and domain attributes, all kinds of different techie stuff. And at a certain point, I just said, I think this is for me. And so I made a switch and started working in that field full-time. Worked my way up. I've had most IT jobs over my career. I've worked in the help desk, deployed and supported hardware, applications, or database, security, like you name it. And at a certain point, I think it was right around the time when Meaningful Use came out. So funding for implementing Mars. And I had a client who was looking at that. And so I went in and got certified for EMR support and implementation. And I thought, wow, this is really cool. And the more involved I got in that, the more I realized how important those tools are for patient care. Like I started to see the, the touch points and impact areas around quality and safety that an electronic medical record could add and got really hooked. And so from that point on, I took a position with that organization as their IT director, started my journey in healthcare IT. And I haven't looked back since. It's kind of a calling. I, tell, I say that to everybody when they're interviewing Doverlake or when I have time to sit and pop with folks. Healthcare is a calling. I mean, we all have choices. If you work in IT, you can work in most industries. 
I think the thing about healthcare that's different is you know, we're not making widgets, it's real life and death stuff. And the mission is so easy to get behind. Putting in the hard work matters at the end of the day. I was hooked. And so I kind of worked my way through working in the ambulatory areas, out in clinics and surgery centers, different things like that. Ended up moving into the hospital space about 12 years ago, and then eventually took a position up here in the Pacific Northwest as the IT director at Overlake. And over time was lucky enough to be promoted up to CIO and then CITO. That's how I landed here today. Very cool. I love how you brought up the fact that healthcare is a calling. At least that resonates with me because it's really one of the reasons that we work so actively in the healthcare world is because, you know, if we can play even the tiniest role in impacting the lives of the patients of a given community or the caregivers providing the care, it's something bigger than just IT consulting, which really does it for me. We touched on some really good advice to start out the episode, Scott, but any other really important thing that you learned personally or professionally along the course of your journey? What was life like before learning it and after learning it? I was thinking back, you know, what would I tell myself when I was younger that would help me be better now and all that kind of stuff? I think it's about slowing down, right? It's slowing down to go fast. And there's times where you need to be urgent and you need to address the urgency and the firefighting of the day. And then there are times where you need to really focus on the important things, which may not align with those urgent things. And so I think the biggest thing for me, it's a constant battle, is juggling the day-to-day firefighting. So the tyranny of the urgent, but doing the strategic things that will move the dial in a significant way over time gets you to a better place, your organization or yourself personally. So those are the important kind of long-term. And I found if you can balance those and keep them in perspective, that's really the best place to be. And always carve out a little bit of time every day, every week to be focusing, you know, kind of getting some work done on those long-term strategic and important things while still playing whack-a-mole and putting out fires on the urgent things. But really trying to, I guess, break things up into those two different camps has helped me a lot because when you're head down in a firefight, the urgent does seem like the most important thing. But long term, as leaders, we're supposed to be able to step back and provide perspective. I think that's the important stuff. Being able to step back and look at what's important. What's the thing over this hill that we're trying to climb? What's that next hill look like so we can prepare? Yeah, that's what I would say. Constantly a work in progress. That's great advice and great learnings. It reminds me of what you were talking about before, even with communication, even just to slow down while I'm communicating. I don't need to rush while I'm communicating because you mentioned effective communication. In addition to that, also just, I don't need to react in a given moment necessarily. Like you said, think something's urgent and we need to act immediately. Like, of course, but oftentimes there will be things that happen where I think an urgent response, or rather it's my natural reaction to want to respond urgently when that might not be the best thing. So slowing down allows me, you know, a beat to say, okay, what's the next right action? I might not even know. And putting some distance between myself and what happened, the answers could come. 
Also having my sounding board, you know, around me, that can also help. But if I would have just acted immediately and not slowed down, that could have never happened. Good reminder for me personally. A little self-awareness goes a long way, right? You should become as aware of your reflexive tendencies as possible. If you're a person that reacts quickly, that's probably a good sign that you should slow down and take a beat. Like you said, surround yourself with people that are, have different sensibilities. What about a time that you had a really challenging moment, again, personally or professionally, or a time that you failed, but that you took a really significant learning from that instance? Unfortunately, I have a lot of those examples. I think when you work We all in do. I- we all do. <laughs> you know, when you work in IT long enough, most projects have some element of that, regardless of the uh, complexity, right? It's people, process, and the technology, and any one of those things can break down or alter it. I would probably say the thing that pops out first you know, in my mind when you ask me that is, I remember first hospital I worked for, I was brought into my first ward meeting as kind of the, the IT expert. I was an IT director at the time. And to speak about some cybersecurity issues and concerns. And my boss, who was brilliant at board interaction and kind of that professional communications in that setting, had prepped me really well because she wanted it to go really well, obviously. So I went into the meeting, and I think one of my strengths and one of my weaknesses that I usually think pretty well on my feet, which can be a strength, but in this case, it was a weakness. So I was in this board meeting and I was doing my presentation and she kept saying beforehand, stick to the script, stick to the script. So I, I did pretty well until it came to a big open Q&A session for the board members to ask me questions. And I was fairly candid in a lot of my responses, maybe in some cases a little overconfident in our ability to deliver what was being asked in the timeline that they were asking. So I actually committed to getting some things done. And in that setting that my, and I wasn't looking at my boss at the time in the meeting, she was kind of going, nope, don't do that. And I just kept plowing forward. And uh, I remember pulling out of that meeting and she said, uh, you know, did a great job, but might've really put us in a bad position there. Because what you don't know is that the funding or the thing that they're asking for that you think we had just got pulled. And so now we have to go back in next month and explain why you're not going to be able to deal with that. So I guess it was a big failure from my perspective. I felt horrible, but an opportunity to learn about setting realistic expectations and not kind of being a little more humble and a little less confident in the ability to knock it out of the park every time and exceed all those expectations that make all of us feel really good, right? feels great to say, I'm your guy. I'll get it done. Dave, and you need this done, I got it. I'll get it done for you next week. Being a little more thoughtful, reconfirming offline and it giving something realistic as far as a deadline that I could. Yeah. That humility for me has only came with lots of failures and lots of time. And even then it's a practice for sure. So that's a good one. So Scott, so I want to get into your current role and before we do, wanted to ask about your one of your top books that either that you've been reading fairly recently or all time, whatever you'd prefer. All time is tough, man. I'm sure you can read them. Yeah, it's like breast You know, I'm generally listening to an audiobook and reading a physical book at the same time. 
I find obviously getting something different out of each one, each kind of media. And then I balance, I throw in podcast constantly. So I'm a really avid podcast listener. I'd say in fiction, I'm trying to be a better fiction reader. Historically, I've always read nonfiction. My daughters and my wife have really gotten me into fiction last couple of years. I read a really fun, interesting book called The Library at Mount Char by Scott Hawkins. It's a fiction fantasy type of book. It was fun. And then I always try to kind of balance that with something more professional, leaning, or maybe an autobiography or biography. I like those. I'm listening to Range right now, which is by David Epstein. And it's about how generalists can really function well in a specialized world. So being like the jack of all trades could actually be a superpower. It's really interesting. So I'm listening to that one right now and I'm reading a biography called Barbarity Days by Will Sinigan. It's a biographical kind of timeline stitched together through surfing trips and through the set like 60s, 70s, maybe into the early 90s. It's just, it's interesting. It pulls in history. He is a journalist back in the 70s and 80s and just Cabbage, kind of crazy for surfing all over the world. So that's what I'm reading right now. I think podcasts, I try to like have some levity in the things I listen to. I do listen to like Work Life with Adam Grant. That one's fun as far as how it applies to the work that we do. But I don't know. Smart List is fun. I listen to that quite a bit. Land of Giants, The Daily, Stuff You Should Know, stuff like that. So Scott, let's talk about your current role. So, you know, wearing a number of hats over at Overlake Medical Center, what is your vision for IT and technology as it's derived from the overall mission of the organization? And what does that look like by way of some of the key initiatives you guys are working on? Yeah. So if you kind of look at what our mission is, it's providing compassionate care for every life we touch. That's our corporate mission. You know, when we look at the word compassion, our CDO, Mike Marsh, is really good at explaining what this means to us as a leadership team as an organization. It's, it's not a passive word. It's active. We are actively compassionate, and that can mean a lot of things. It's not sitting back and observing with compassion in our eyes. The way that I look at how technology supports that at Overrank, it's about how do we the joy back into providing clinical care to our patients. How do we make it easy to access Overlake from a patient or family member or community perspective? How do we ensure stability for the organization so that care continuum is not disrupted? You know, you think of stability as job one. Systems need to stay up so that physicians and caregivers have access to the information they need to provide care. So that is like job one. I like to organize our operations from a technology perspective across this run, grow, transform, continue. In the run bucket, it's all the things you might think of that are just nuts and bolts necessary for IT infrastructure. So whatever is running right now, stay running and be stable and dependable. So keep the trains running on time. That's really important. But we also have to grow capabilities with the tools that we have, aging our physicians, our nurses and other clinicians, our business users to help leverage what we've already invested in so that it is working for us. That's kind of grow bucket. And then we want to transform. So the cool thing about Overlake is that we're large enough to really make an impact and small enough to do it quickly. So we're kind of that just right 
size organization, which is what brought me to it and kept me at Overlay. So we're set in just such a cool geographic area here. It's beautiful. You know, you got lakes and all that green stuff. But on top of that, you've got this super vibrant and diverse community. The, the east side is a majority minority community, which is awesome. It gives us a lot of different perspectives on what we need to put forward to serve in the patients. So on top of that, we're in kind of a hotbed of technical innovation. We've got Microsoft and others sitting here in our backyard, and we'd like to partner with them. So, and there are patients. Most of the Microsoft staff that work on campus six miles down the road, we are their hospital. So they have certain expectations when they walk in the door. And I think my job as a technology leader is to take what their expectations are and make those a reality. For sure. I mean, I love hearing what your CEO mentioned about compassion being an action. That just really resonates for me. I always talk about how gratitude is an action as well. It's not just me saying, oh, I'm grateful. It's like, how am I showing up in the world as someone who is grateful? And when it comes to technology, right? Kind of like you alluded to, how are we leveraging different processes, different technology solutions to take the burden off the caregiver so that they can be focused on delivering that compassionate care? And even in like, we do a lot of work in, especially lately, I feel like it's like every other conversation in the contact center, right? So how are we leveraging integrations between communications platforms and the EHR? And how are we leveraging front-end AI? How are we leveraging automation so that we can verify that patient prior to them reaching that individual, pop up their last procedure, and then when the agent gets on and the person's already verified, they can say, Scott, I see you broke your leg two weeks ago. How are you feeling? You know, as opposed to that name, date of birth, that whole thing. So it's very cool. The last thing I'll say is I also love run, grow, transform. I'm going to steal that from you because I'm guilty of always talking about crawl, walk, run, but I prefer run, grow, transform. I like that one. So what are some of the key initiatives you guys are focused on today, Scott? We're doing all run, grow, transform structure. We're doing all the normal things that I think healthcare organizations are doing right now as far as trying to migrate different loads and platforms out to cloud. So we're on that journey. We're also super focused on cybersecurity. We're still doing preventative kind of things, stopping malware and ransomware attacks, all the bad stuff. But I think that you know we're really starting to shift our posture and our attitude towards more of a resiliency approach, knowing bad things will happen. So I think that's been a journey that we've been working on in earnest this year and a little bit of last year. So, and that's kind of an iterative, never-ending battle there. I think the biggest things that we've been focusing on really this last year and what I see us doing into the next fiscal year is around digital transformation. I'm sure every healthcare leader you bring on is going to say that. But for Overlay, it's partly practical and partly aspirational and whiz-bang pow into the future stuff. So we've basically broken our digital transformation program and plans into three or four different focus areas. One is around financial sustainability for the organization. So how do we leverage on the payer side, they're using artificial intelligence, machine learning, all the newer technologies to 
make sure that claims that are sent over are clean and appropriate, and then they automatically deny and send back the, the healthcare organization, right? On the hospital side, how can we make sure that we're sending the most clean, accurate coding and data over so we get paid for what we do? So rule number one, get paid for what you do. We're doing a lot of work around optimization within our EHR related to rev cycle processes, and that's around real-time eligibilities, real-time authorizations, computer-aided coding. So that's a little bit of the whiz-bang pow stuff. Can we have machines do some things that people normally do and let our people focus on more complex and creative things, right? So we're doing that financial sustainability. And then we're looking at consumer expectations and experience. In that area, we're trying to really transform that patient journey through digital means, right? So it's anything from how does a patient find Overlake, find a provider with an Overlake or a service, learn more about that provider or service? Is that provider a good cultural fit for what they want? Is that provider into skiing? Whatever. To find a provider that fits the wants and needs of the patient and then help them get access to care where, when, and how they want it, right? Whether it's asynchronous, if it's virtual kind of video visit type of scenarios, or in person, make that as frictionless as possible. So that's a big piece. And for us, I think the patient care journey and our responsibility doesn't end after they walk out the door, either virtually or from the office. We're trying to use technologies to keep the patient engaged, do follow-up communication with them, their family members, really have them looped into their care and make them an active participant in their care. And then on the other end of that is how do we start to layer in some artificial intelligence, machine learning type of functionality to proactively identify health risks so that they don't show up in the first place, right? So patient experience, patient journey would be that other bucket. And then providers. So I kind of alluded to this. How do we put the joy back into the practice for providers? Most providers didn't get into the healthcare industry to sit in front of a computer and do data entry. And unfortunately, EMRs have really brought that out in providers. They spend a huge amount of their day doing documentation to satisfy that certain services have been performed and accurate coding supplied, all those kinds of things. And so we're looking at ambient listening technologies. We're actually going to be starting a pilot for, with ambient listening that allows the provider to physically turn away from the computer, face the patient, have a conversation, and have the ambient listening pick up on key words, phrases, and it can differentiate between patient and provider and start to populate a chart note that at a later on in the data provider while they're walking can pull that up on their phone, mobile app, and do a quick review, make a quick adjustment if there's any errors and just submit it. And so the provider really gets to focus all their time and attention on the patient, which on the other side of the equation, the patient really appreciates, right? Bring that choy back into the practice for providers is critical. We're at a provider and nursing shortage right now. So how can we keep people interested, keep them in the provider space, and recruit new folks into the space as well? So reducing some of that burden. I think as people, we have aspects of our jobs we like more and less, right? And if we minimize it, we like less and maximize the cool things that we love about our jobs. So working on that. And that carries over into the staff and caregiver experience as well. That's awesome. Scott, how about some 
best practices for our listeners? Anything that you might add surrounding maybe what leaders should be focused on? I think with technology, it's really easy as technology leaders to focus on getting the technology planned, tested, and implemented and stable. And that's certainly important. But any good project that involves technology is people, process, then technology in that order. Again, back to communication. I think change management is often overlooked when we look at all deep projects. For my team, we actually follow a ProSci process, which is a pretty well-established, it's called ADCAR. For change management, it's really about bringing people along the change journey, getting them to understand the what's in it for me of the project, identifying where workflows are going to change. So if you're going to change what people do today, even if it's for the better, communication needs to be effectively delivered and be good on the uptake and understand why. Otherwise, I think you're looking at a lot of missed opportunities and certainly adoption is impacted if you don't address change management really a really direct way. And there is a, it's a little bit of art, a little bit of science, but there is a little bit of science to it. And it needs to be a part of any good technology. Yeah, I agree. That is so huge. After all, I mean, you could roll a solution out. Like you just said, if adoption is extremely low or the, just the perception, you could roll it out perfectly. But if the perception of your business partners is that it was a failure, then it's a failure. It doesn't matter like how good I think a job I did getting the solution stood up if everyone else is unhappy, right? And a focus on organizational change management, taking the time to enroll everyone. I've heard of ADCAR, but I've never explored it myself. So that's something that I'm definitely going to take away from what you just shared for sure. It's interesting, right? If, if you're ever like bored, go out and just Google search like Harvard business case studies on ERP implementation failures. There's tons of them. And then most of them, if you really like pull back, build the onion, they come down to the change management approach or lack thereof. And you're right. I think one of the great things about, I feel very thankful about my journey into technology and technology leadership is that I started as a user as a operator on the other end, to me, it's exactly what you said. If we implement something and we say it's perfect and the user doesn't think so, it's not perfect and it wasn't done well because it's usability is job warming. Good lessons. So last couple of questions, Scott. First would be, what do you think might be some of the biggest changes in the healthcare industry as time passes or where do you see the industry going in the future? Oh yeah, that's always a tough one. I think healthcare is, it's been slow to adopt technology. It's super risk adverse industry with good reason. I think that's changing. The pandemic kind of threw that on its head a little bit and opened up the door. Concept of one way, two way doors, healthcare, we've always looked at everything as high risk and it's a one way door once we walk through it, we can pull back a decision. But there are many areas in healthcare we can innovate. It's not necessarily going to be an adverse effect, right? So that's kind of a two-way door situation. So I think my crystal ball is that, and I'm already seeing healthcare leaders outside of technology, some of the the rest of the C-suite is realizing that innovation needs to occur and that there are decisions we can make. And part of innovation is trying things and pivoting. So, and that's tough in healthcare. It's a really tough sell. We are seeing some really good innovation. I think some of the 
external entrants to and disruptors to, to the healthcare IT space have really challenged us, which is great. I think I'm seeing the pendulum start to swing there. I think the pendulum will continue to swing further out towards trying to leverage as much of artificial intelligence, ambient, everything, virtual assistants, and all that kind of stuff to help to lessen the burden for the providers and for the folks doing the work on the front lines. I do think the pendulum is going to swing back to the middle a little bit because healthcare is a people-first business, so we're in the business of people. I like to look at overlaying our aspirations is to provide this, we call it a hyper-personalized care experience. It's like this blend of technology and we want to meet the expectations of the Amazons of the world in a healthcare setting without losing that secret sauce, which is your relationship with your provider. So I think healthcare, the pendulum is going to continue to swing further and further over into utilizing more and more technology to make us better, faster, stronger. But I do think it's going to come back to the middle a little bit and make sure we don't lose too much of that personalized touch, which can be done with technology. It has to be done well, though. That makes sense. Very cool. So Scott, final question would be, if you could go back 5, 10, or even 15 years in time, what advice would you give your younger self? I think just slow down. I was really ambitious and trying to just absorb as much information as quickly as possible once I got bit with the technology bug and it was all good. But I think I would tell myself, slow down, get there soon enough. It's often that in the future, lots to learn, but just enjoy it. And this is a blessing. As cliche as it sounds, the journey is, is what it's all about. Great way to end. So Scott, thank you so much. It was an absolute pleasure having you on. My pleasure as well, Dave. Thank you. Yeah. And to our listeners, thank you for tuning in and we will catch you all next week. Thank you for listening to the Disruptive Innovators Champions of Digital Business podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a five-star review and subscribe to enjoy future episodes. This episode is brought to you by Disruptive Innovations, a leading tech consulting firm that helps enterprise organizations with their IT strategy, process optimization, and workflow improvement. Contact them and find out more at disruptiveinnovations.net.